Good news, everyone. We're going to the moon. NASA announced earlier this month, April 2023, that for the first time in 50 years, they are sending actual flesh and blood astronauts to the moon. This will happen if all things go according to plan by November of 2024. And of course, that got me thinking about the first time we went to the moon. The idea of going to the moon, if you think about it, is almost a little crazy. Like, why? And what could we accomplish? And how would we ever even do it? Given the fact that the closest anyone had ever come was exiting our own atmosphere to travel the full distance to the moon and return seemed like a harebrained idea. But that didn't stop President Kennedy in 1961 from saying this. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. And we did. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. By 1969, Neil Armstrong had not only emerged from Apollo 11 and become the first human to walk on the face of the moon, but he made it all the way back to Earth, splashing down in the Pacific on July 24th, 1969. A lot of people contributed to making that achievement possible, but there was perhaps one contributing factor that mattered more than anything else, and that was the vision itself, imagining that yes, we could actually go there, but then secondarily, the belief that it was actually possible. And this belief that it was actually possible is an essential aspect of achieving any goal. And when we think about what honestly keeps us stuck, when we think about what prohibits us from achieving our goals, when we think about what keeps our businesses small instead of growing, it's mindset more than anything else. Given that, how do you as business owners not only set exciting goals for growth, but actually achieve them? Well, it's not rocket science, and we're going to unpack that next. Hi, I'm Joel Miller, Chief Product Officer here at Full Focus, and this is the Business Accelerator Podcast. This week, we're talking about the mindset that keeps your business small and what you can do as a business owner to unleash your company's potential. First up, we're gonna talk with our founder and chairman, Michael Hyatt, and our CEO, Megan Hyatt-Miller, about four actions that you can take to change your team's limiting belief, and then get the breakthrough that you need so that you can grow the business the way that you want to. After that, we'll talk with author Ozan Verol. He's the author of Awaken Your Genius. He's going to talk to us about some common traps that business owners get themselves into and how to steer clear while generating extraordinary results in their businesses. All right, Ken, do you know what's happening right now? No, I have no idea. <laughs> well, first of all, it's your favorite time of year, finally. It's, yes! We can act, okay, like I give approval for us to actually listen to Christmas music now that Thanksgiving's over. Jingle bells, jingle. Yes. Uh, it's our holiday sale here at Full Focus. Oh, And we have better. some really awesome deals going on, especially if for some reason you missed out on our Black Friday deals. This is a great time to get your planners and everything for the new year. And so we have got uh, some awesome deals. So we've got 10% off site-wide. Um, we've got where you can get a free um, Your Best Year Ever vinyl sticker pack. For any new planner subscri subscription that you sign up for. So these are great to put on things like your Stanley mug. Wow, you already put them on yeah. your Stanley mug? And if are you got them, them if you got them on Black Friday, these are different. These are these are gonna be new for the new year. Uh, but they're great for that. You can also put them on your planner, you can put them on your computer, wherever you want them. 
they but they're great. great. They're great stickers. We're also doing 25% off courses. Let's go. So specifically, we've been talking a lot about our goal setting course. Um, and this is going to be $75 off and you get a free ticket to your best year ever live with your purchase. So you definitely don't, it's huge. like a crazy, crazy, crazy deal. So you don't want to miss out on that. And your favorite thing, which is our certification program we're doing $800 off of it. And this is a fantastic time of year to get in. Um, we are actually going to be doing a beta group for our new digital planner. Yes. It's going to be fantastic. Crazy exciting. So anyways, go to fullfocusstore.com now shop our holiday sale. Make sure to use the code holiday 10 to get all these deals and more. So a few years ago, I read a book, Megan, I think you read the book too, called Mindset by psychologist Carol Dweck. And basically, she created this framework of a growth versus a fixed mindset. And the idea is that some individuals feel as if how they show up in the world is pretty much fixed in place. Nothing they can do about it. You've been dealt a a pack of cards, and you got to play the hand that you've got. They got their, their skills, their abilities. That's it. End of story. Others feel, though, that whatever they have now is just something to build on for what's next. They can acquire new skills and abilities. And we even talked about this in Your Best Year Ever, and then we baked it into our newest book, Mind Your Mindset, as well. But Dweck's research shows that 40% of the population is in either camp. And what I mean by that is 40% of the people in your company, in your community, in your country, 40% of those people have a fixed mindset. 40% of the people have a growth mindset, and the other 20% could go either way. And of course, we all have a bit of both, growth and fixed mindsets, depending on mood, context, whatever. So these population numbers got us thinking. Our companies are full of people with both mindsets and folks that could swing either way. So depending on what's going on in your business, the collective attitude might be growth, it might be fixed. But limiting beliefs take on corporate life, and they can become part of the culture, uh, so much so that people no longer even notice that these limiting beliefs are baked into the culture. And the language of your team will often give it away. And we talk about this in Mind Your Mindset, that our language often gives away our thinking. The language inside a company often gives away sort of the collective beliefs or the collective thinking of the group. So when you catch yourself expressing limiting beliefs by saying things like, we always, or we never, or we can't. That's a fixed mindset. And if your team has a fixed mindset right now, that's going to stunt your growth. It's going to prevent you from scaling, and it's going to keep your business small. Okay, so I totally buy into this. I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in our team from time to time. I've seen it in my own kids. I mean, this is just the human condition, top to bottom. But how do you know if your team is suffering from a fixed mindset besides the language part, which I feel like is a skill that we kind of have to develop in ourselves. But how would we know in more concrete ways that our team is stuck in a fixed mindset? I I think one of the ways is that they're risk adverse. Mm -hmm. They want to stay stuck in the comfort zone because growth has a lot of uncertainty. You know, you're going to be trying things you've never tried before. You're going to be thinking thoughts you've never thought before. And that can feel scary, right? There's some safety in remaining in the comfort zone and thinking the way that you've always thought, relying on the same, quote, truths that you've always relied upon and basically not changing. But again, that's going to keep you small. One of the things we know from our research with Mind Your Mindset is that our brain really likes certainty. And if you think about it, a fixed mindset is really a means to an end, which is to create certainty. And our brain just loves that, you know? And I think probably right now, if you think about what's happened over the last several years with COVID and then kind of the aftermath of COVID, and now we've got economic disruption and uncertainty and, you know, wars and whatever, all the things, I think that there's probably an increased need that we're not even fully conscious of to have certainty. And that's happening with our teams as well. And so people are probably even more prone to defaulting to this fixed mindset than they would be under more ordinary based on our historical, you know, normal over the last several decades period of time. So I I think that's kind of interesting to factor in as well. Well, think of it this way. 
You know, if your business is facing challenges, if there's economic uncertainty everywhere, the whole thing feels risky. Mm-hmm. And so you think to yourself, I'm not going to add to that risk by creating new risk. I'm just going to kind of hunker down now and hope the storm blows over. And maybe I'll be risky later. But you quickly slip into kind of a scarcity mindset mm-hmm. where you start holding everything that, that that you believe and hold dear close to the chest. And in a time of abundance, you might be more likely to, to be growth-minded. But I think it's just something to be conscious and aware of. I, I saw it this morning. We do a weekly call for our clients. And somebody got on the call, and I could tell this is like one of the most successful people in his industry. And he was very discouraged because he saw that the the economy was having an impact on his business, and he wasn't sure that this time he could figure his way out of it, and he just wanted to stay in the tried and the true, the safe, the things that, that he had used in the past. But that kind of fixed mindset won't get you through a time of uncertainty. You have to grow and adapt. And that's why a lot of times the bigger companies start shrinking and the little ones that have less to lose and are willing to risk are those that can grow in times of uncertainty. And they do. Well, and the good news about something like mindset is that we have a choice. We have agency. That's what our whole book, Mind Your Mindset, is about. And that's not what we're going to get into today. But I I think that it's important to realize that whether you yourself fall into a growth or a fixed mindset and whether you see in your team kind of more leaning toward a growth or a fixed mindset, um, there's a lot you can do about it. So let's talk about now the four actions that we can take to change our team's limiting beliefs and to generate the kind of liberating truths that will ultimately unleash our company's potential. Well, like so much else in leadership, action number one, model a growth mindset yourself. It's got to start with you as the leader. If you have a fixed mindset, the law of replication, which by the way, is that fixed or is that a growth thing? Well, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that will be replicated in the lives of your team. If you have a fixed mindset as a leader, if you're in scarcity, if you don't want to grow, neither will your people. And we've probably all been in companies or organizations like that. Some organizations, some industries are notorious for that. You know, that's how we always do it here. That's what, uh, you know, the regulators forced us to do. I can remember years ago when there were some financial advisors that uh, I was in contact with that would all tell me, like, we can't podcast because, you know, the compliance people in our industry won't let us. And that was like a, a fixed thing. And then a couple people, a couple financial advisors that Megan, you and I know, decided that they were going to start a financial podcast and they were going to figure out how to get that through compliance and get it out there into the world. And their businesses grew like crazy, but they were willing to adopt a growth mindset and they wouldn't take no for an answer. Even though the industry had this fixed, rigid mindset that said they couldn't think or do outside of the box. Well, one of the things that is important to remember here is it's when we're talking about growth mindset, we're not just talking about wanting your business to grow. We're talking about a kind of flexible thinking that allows you to not get stuck in this kind of fake certainty that's all about just having it figured out for the sake of feeling better. It's really the willingness to kind of play with the edges of things and let things hang in the balance there for a minute. And so One of the things as the leader, as someone who the law of replication applies to more than anyone that we need to be aware of is being willing to embrace being wrong, to say that publicly. You know, that's a big deal because so often we just stick with things because we don't want to be wrong. You know, we don't want to admit publicly that that was the wrong decision or this isn't working like it used to. And I think one of the things that gives the people on our team permission to do that themselves, to change strategy, to change their assumptions about things is when we go first and we do that publicly and we model not being threatened by that. We are willing to take ownership of things. And so that's one of the most practical ways that I think you can model a growth mindset yourself is just to go first. Um, Sometimes I don't like this whole idea of the law of replication. In fact, I'm going to be honest, mostly I don't like it because (laughs) it's a lot of pressure. And at the same time, when we accept it, it's also a huge opportunity to give ourselves or rather to give our teams an example of what this can look like uh, in flesh and blood and give them the courage to do the same thing. You know, I think that one of the things we have to model 
is humility. Mm-hmm. That the stories we're telling ourselves, the strategies we've employed in the past that have worked, all have to be held with an open hand. Yeah. The conclusions have to be tentative. Yes, they did apply in that situation. That worked once, but we can't always extrapolate from an isolated experience or two and come up with some sort of general theory of like gravity. It's not like that. You know, it doesn't always universally apply in every context, in every situation. But I think as leaders, this is part of what it means to go first, is that we model that humility. And whenever we make a statement, first of all, when we make a statement to our team by virtue of our position, there's going to be an outsized weight to that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to feel like we're kind of laying down the law. And, if, and I found it helpful if I say, look, I could be wrong about this. Or here's what I found in the past. I'm not exactly sure if it applies in this context. And invite people to challenge you. But once it's fixed, if you make it a law, then nobody's going to challenge you. And then you're going to be stuck inside your own thinking. Yeah. And I think what you said about you want to hold your assumptions and strategies loosely is so important. Um, It's kind of like we see this in science all the time. You know, every new discovery in some ways undermines or uh, discredits previous ones. And that's actually a really good thing. That's the process of science working is that it's always advancing. And even when it proves other theories or uh, laws to be untrue or invalid, those were still necessary and helpful to getting where we are now and where we're going to go in the future. Everything builds on itself. So I think part of this is being willing to embrace being wrong in the past doesn't mean I was wrong, like as a person, I did my best thinking at that point, And now I can go on to the next thing, which is only possible because again, as we talk about in Mind Your Mindset, I'm recombining ideas and things from the past with new information to come up with something better now. And I think when our team sees that, then they're able to kind of envision what does this growth mindset look like uh, in real life. Reminds me of that George Box quote, all models are flawed, some are useful. Right. Exactly. And you have to kind of start with that assumption. Okay. Action number two, communicate and demonstrate that people are safe. Meg, have you seen this play out in business? Yeah. Well, (laughs) I've learned this the hard way um, in, in some ways because I've had a couple of people say to me over the years, gosh, when you asked for that meeting on a Friday afternoon, I was pretty sure you were going to fire me. And I'm like, what? I just need to talk to you about, you know, that I I wanted to change something on a few of those slides that we're going to be presenting next week or, you know, something totally innocuous. And what I've realized is that you can't be too intentional about making people feel safe. And when you're the boss and you have as much power over someone's employment and livelihood as as we do as business owners, then there's also um, an inherent vulnerability that people feel with us. And so to be intentional about creating felt safety, to create an environment that is safe for people to challenge you, that's safe for people to take risks, that's safe for people to be creative and innovate, and then necessarily make mistakes as a part of that, that doesn't happen by accident. That happens by the culture that you create. And I've been lately rereading probably my favorite book on culture, which is called The Culture Code. And the whole first part of that book is about felt safety. And part of what we're trying to do here from a brain science standpoint is we're trying to calm the amygdala down in the brain and say, hey, it's okay, you're safe. Because what what's impossible, if you want above average performance, innovation, creativity, those things can't coexist with danger and fear. You know, if people, if you think about, to, to throw another model in, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy, you know, survival is at the bottom and self-actualization is at the top of that pyramid. And so if, if you're worried about basic survival and you're worried about, am I just going to be okay and out of danger, you're probably not able to simultaneously straddle being all the way at the top, which is self-actualization, things like creativity and innovation and um, all those big fun things that most of us love as business owners. So this is... This is more than just like warm and fuzzy. You know, maybe when we said this, uh, this action of communicate and demonstrate that people are safe, maybe a little part of you in, in, inside kind of rolled your eyes like, oh, that sounds like just warm and fuzzy. It's not. This is so related to performance. And if you're struggling with performance or frustrated that you're not getting the performance that you want from your team, 
One of the first places to go, though, it's counterintuitive, is to ask yourself, have we really created felt safety in an explicit way and implicit way? Well, I think that where that gets operationalized is when people bring you bad news. How do you react to that? Yeah. Like if you react in anger or frustration or disgust or any of a hundred other negative emotions, you're going to shut down people's initiative and they're not going to want to take risk because you've proven that it's not safe. By the way, if you're on the other side of it where you're working for somebody and you may not feel like it's safe, when bad news happens, the, the best thing you can do is go take total ownership with your boss. And um, I, I learned this again when I was working in a big corporate environment. I had a boss who was kind of mercurial. And I would often see him like bite the heads off of my peers. But then I started to notice this pattern. And the pattern was that they never took responsibility. Mm. They were always trying to blame somebody else. And he, in his kind of clumsy way, was trying to make them feel like, you got to own this. And so I thought, what if I just owned my mistakes? So I can remember the first month after I'd become a divisional manager and we missed the budget, I didn't want to wait for him to give me a call and say, hey, what the heck happened? Or for him to hear it from the accounting department. I mean, the moment that I heard about it, I went immediately to his office and I said, boss, we missed the budget. And he heard it from me. And I took full responsibility for it. And he was super kind. And he basically said, you know what? It's going to be okay. You're going to have those months from time to time. It's all right. And so that made me feel like, okay, all I got to do is take responsibility. And and he didn't react. But as leaders, we don't have to react either. That's a choice. Now, certainly we, we don't want to just blow it up, blow it off or minimize it. But at the same time, if we don't create an environment that's safe for failure, then we're going to get really risk averse, fixed mindset individuals. Well, and there are even small things that we can do. I was reminded in rereading the culture code, things like eye contact, asking people about their families, um, just being with people in casual ways, commenting on things, shared experiences. Basically, what they talk about in this book uh, as belonging cues are really critical for felt safety. So I highly recommend that book if this is something you want to go deeper in. Again, it's all about performance. This is not just um, emotionally or psychologically beneficial. It's really the foundation for high-performing teams. Okay, so the first action... Model a growth mindset yourself. Second action, communicate and demonstrate that people are safe. The third action, challenge limiting beliefs. Now, you got to be careful with this one. First of all, you have to recognize that there's a limiting belief. But I think the safe way to do this is to ask a question, and particularly of yourself. So when you may be tempted in a situation where you think the answer is obvious or the strategy should be obvious based on your previous experience to be able to say to the team, look, here's kind of what I think, but to be honest, maybe it's a limiting belief. And so just to make our team aware of the fact that there are certain beliefs that we have, certain thinking that we have that serves us in terms of growth and development and impact on the world. And there's other kinds of thinking or limiting beliefs that keep us small. So I think just getting that into, into sort of the, the set of possibilities for people to recognize that they have beliefs, that they have thinking, and that that actually influences the results they have. For a lot of people, that's a brand new idea, but that's where it's got to start. Absolutely. So I know I've talked recently about our son, Jonah, who's 12, uh, learning to play golf. And I told a story about that recently. Well, Uh, I have another golf story for today. Golf is just apparently ripe for stories about mindset and kind of actually makes me want to play because of this. But uh, he was at another one of his classes. So he's taking like a winter series of classes. And the previous lesson had gone really well after that one I told several weeks ago had not gone well. And he was excited to go. And then he went and he he got in the car. You know, like you can just look at your kids and he was just kind of head down, shuffling toward the cars. He was coming in the car and you know, he just said it didn't really go well and he didn't really want to talk about it. So later that day, we were talking in the kitchen, standing at the island, 
And I, I was just realizing, you know, this is a powerful opportunity to understand the the value and the weight of our own thinking. And so I said, Jonah, if you t- if you tell yourself that you're not any good at golf, what kind of actions do you think you're going to take? And he's like, well, I probably won't try very hard when I go out there. I won't pay attention to my coach. You know, and he kind of goes down this whole thing. And then I said, well, then like what what uh, would the result of that be? And he's like, well, I probably wouldn't get any better. And I was like, well, if you kept doing that, what would happen? And and he said, well, I probably would just quit, you know? And I was like, that's true. And I said, so if you told yourself, I'm just learning, which is, you may recognize a similar message from the other situation several weeks ago, you know, what kind of actions would you would take? And he said, well, I probably would do my putting practice. We just got him this putting green for upstairs in our house. So he's supposed to putt 15 minutes a day, you know, so I'd probably do my putting practice and I'd probably really pay attention. And I'd probably, um, you know, think about what my coach was saying. And I said, okay, so if you did all that, like week after week after week, what do you think would happen? And he said, well, I think I would really enjoy golf. And I said, what else? And he said, well, I think I would probably become a pretty good golfer. And then he goes, Thanks, mom, for the talk. <laughs> you know, that, that was my little coaching moment of the day. But I think what's important here as we're thinking about our teams, you know, sometimes leadership and parenting are a lot alike. Our team doesn't necessarily know that the that what they're thinking, what we can recognize as their limiting beliefs are not necessarily true or false. They're just a story layered on top of some facts. And I think if you can help to explain to your team this relationship, again, Jad, like you just said, this is a brand new idea to most people. This is not something any of us were taught in school or for the most part growing up. And so if you can link that there's this thing that happens in your life, you know, these facts that happen, and then there's what you tell yourself about it, which is, you know, what your your narrator is kind of giving to you, this story, and then based on the story, you're going to take certain actions, and those actions are going to lead to the results that you're getting. That all of a sudden really helps to break this open. And so when you're challenging limiting beliefs, if you can help your team separate the facts from the stories, you're really giving them a massive skill in life and business. Um, You kind of have to do it with humility and it's best if people come to these conclusions on their own, if you're just kind of a facilitator. Uh, But man, this, this can really open things up for people. You know, as you were talking about Jonah, it reminded me that it's difficult for any of us to see our own limiting beliefs. Yep. And this is the value of trying to bake this into your culture where you give everyone on your team permission to challenge everyone else on limiting beliefs. Now, I'm not talking about going overboard because sometimes even beliefs, limited though they are, and maybe imprecise as they may be in every detail, they're still useful. And it's not like we can deconstruct every story we've been telling ourselves. We couldn't function. So oftentimes, even a flawed story is better than no story. But there are times when when the limiting belief is impeding our results. And when that happens, that's the opportunity to say, hey, I just... I wonder if this is is really true or if this is just a way we've assembled some facts and it's a story we're telling ourselves. Maybe it's just a limiting belief. Well, that gets that gets into some really rich conversations and kind of gets you back into that, that uh, growth mindset where you can explore things that you've never explored before because the limit of your limiting beliefs keeps you from going there. Well, that leads us to our fourth action, which is to cast a better vision. Um, You know, one of the things that I thought of immediately as I was considering this point is our former coach, Eileen, who we talk about in Mind Your Mindset, and this idea that uh, she shared with us many times in our work together about this idea of standing for somebody, standing for the greatness that you see in someone, which is actually why you're willing to get out of your own comfort zone and challenge somebody's limiting limiting beliefs or provide constructive feedback or coaching, those kinds of things. And I think that people can't always see their own potential. You know, certainly they don't necessarily see the long-term vision of the company unless you share that with them and all that. But but in and of themselves, they don't have a sense necessarily of what they're capable of, what what's possible for them. And when you see that in them and you call that out of them and you're willing to challenge them and hold them accountable and encourage them to that end, that is hugely valuable. Okay. So the point of this is not just so we can examine our thinking. Uh, We want to do that, of course, but we want to do it for a purpose because we're trying to change the results. 
We want better results. We want bigger results. We want a growing company. We want growing opportunity for our team and for ourselves. And so at some point, this vision has to expand our thinking and, and really kind of raise our sights on what seems possible. And that's going to get expressed in things like our vision script, if we have one of those. We've talked about that on this show before, and I talk about that in my book, The Vision Driven Leader. Or in goals, you know, are we going to take riskier goals? Because now all of a sudden, we've been freed from those limiting beliefs, and we have more of a growth mindset. And so this is, this is how it has to be, how it has to change the culture and the way that we operate as a business for the sake of generator, generating better results. This is not just a psychological exercise, but it really is a business exercise. And in our experience, this is the best way to get better business results is to examine our thinking. That's where it all starts. So to review the four actions that you can take to change your team's limiting beliefs and generate the kind of liberating truths that will unleash your company's potential are action number one, model a growth mindset yourself. Action number two, communicate and demonstrate that people are safe. Action number three, challenge limiting beliefs. And action number four, cast a better vision. And as you do that this week, let me suggest a mantra that you repeat to yourself, I have a growth mindset. And then ask yourself the question, how can this play out this week in my business? How can I demonstrate this to my team so that they also develop a growth mindset and that as a company, that becomes our dominant culture and we begin to grow and become all that we're intended to be. What happens after you've identified your organization's liberating truths? What if you can't think of new empowering truths to help change the trajectory of your business? And what does this have to do with going to the moon? Well, all of those answers will be revealed after the break. Dun, dun, dun. Marissa, I cannot tell you how excited I am for your best year ever live coming up January 5th. Yes, I'm so excited too. I can't wait. Yes, this is the event that you would want to come attend if you're just like, man, I want to look at how well did I do in the past, but I also want to set myself up for success to have, like we call it in the title, your best year ever. This is the event you want to be at. We have thousands of people coming to this event yes. already. And you and I will be emceeing this event. Yes. So there's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of excitement to come join us to make it a great year for you. Yes. Now, in order for you to receive it, all you have to do is buy the full focus goal setting course and you get a ticket to your best year ever. Yes. And the best part is that that course is 25% off right now. So uh, you're going to get a discount and a ticket to the live event, which is normally $197. That's a killer so deal. So it's a killer deal. It's a no-brainer in my opinion. Um, but definitely join us. It's going to be so much fun. January 5th, it's totally virtual. So no matter where you are in the world or um, you know whether you can get on a plane or not, don't worry about it. You don't have to. You can do this from the comfort of your own home. And we'll be right there. Yeah. And just imagine having your goals already set for the entire year and a plan to execute them. That's worth all the money that you can. And the best part, it's a free event for you yeah. if you buy the Full Focus Goal Setting Course. Yes. All right. Well, we would love to see you there. So make sure to go to fullfocusstore.com and take advantage of this deal. We'd love to see you at your best driver live. We started this episode talking about going to the moon. And that's a pretty great analogy for any large or ambitious goal that you might set. I wanted to talk with an expert about how to generate the kinds of ideas that are equivalent to going to the moon, whatever your particular business is. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the expert I chose happens to be a former rocket scientist. His name is Ozan Verol. And in fact, he wrote a book called Think Like a Rocket Scientist. His new book, which is actually out tomorrow, Awaken Your Genius, Escape Conformity, Ignite Creativity, and Become Extraordinary. You can find out more about it at GeniusBook.net, but 
I want to talk to him right now about how business owners can generate the kind of thinking that will deliver great results in their businesses. Ozan, in your book, uh, Awaken Your Genius, you talk about the value of distinction. And I was reminded of a line from Kevin Kelly where he mentions that you shouldn't worry about being the best. You should worry about being the only. And I was I was reminded of that as I was reading your book because this emphasis on distinction uh, comes up right at the very beginning and is sustained all the way through. Tell us what is the value as a as a creator, as a as, especially as a small business owner who's busy bringing a product to the world. What is the value of distinction? Sure, we notice things because of contrast. Right, something stands out because it's different from what surrounds it. If there is no distinction, if there is no contrast, no anomaly, no idiosyncrasy, no fingerprints, you become invisible. You become the background. Um, and there is so much copying and pasting in our culture, so much following the herd, much of which is genetically programmed. I mean, thousands of years ago, conformity was essential to our survival. If you're too distinct, if you stood out too much, you would be ostracized, rejected, or worse, left for dead. But I think from a creative perspective, from a business perspective, that creates a problem because you end up blending into the background. And if there is no idiosyncrasy, nothing that makes you stand out, then it becomes hard for customers to find you and choose you over the competition. I was interested in your conversation in the book around trends. And we have a tendency to follow trends, but um, the way I was thinking about this as I was reading that passage of the book was that, you know, like hot trends are really dead ends. Unless you're on the very front end of it, which almost nobody ever is, unless you're on the very front end of it, you're really automatically signing up for that lack of distinction that you just described. Yeah, exactly. Because over time, imitation makes the trend obsolete. In some cases, there might be a first mover advantage, but research shows that the first mover advantage actually is overblown in many cases. Uh, you know, Facebook wasn't the first social network. They actually came on the scene like after MySpace and Friendster. But yeah, following trends is, uh, is a re really dangerous thing to do. I think leaning into what makes you different is the way to go. And I'll, I'll give you an example just to make this more concrete. One of my favorite things to do is to walk into a bookstore. Um, and I walk into a bookstore not to buy the best selling book that's sitting on everyone else's sh shelf but to find undiscovered gems. And I've noticed a trend in recent years that's relevant regardless of what you do for a living. So it looks something like this. You walk into a bookstore and you're greeted by this massive bestseller section that's displaying all the usual books. You walk past the new bestsellers and the books that are displayed on the other shelves are the old bestsellers. You ask a staff member for recommendations and uh, he gives you three suggestions from, you guessed it, the bestseller section. There is all the books on all the shelves are organized in alphabetical order by the author's last name. It's a system that was designed 50 years ago for the rapidly shrinking category of people who walk into a bookstore knowing exactly what book they want to buy. If I knew what book I wanted to buy, it's much easier to do that on on Amazon or, or a different online retail store. And so there is no personality, no quirkiness, no charm, no distinction. So why would customers go out of their way to visit you? Like you can't, as a bookstore, you can't compete with Amazon on price and availability, but you can do what Amazon can't do, which is to give people a personalized experience that goes beyond ads algorithms and bestseller lists. So organize your shelves in a delightful way that will help people discover the books that they're gonna love. Uh, I walked into a bookstore a few years ago and instead of putting their, their books in alphabetical order by the author's last name, they had cre created categories like time travel or young adult books that adults will also love or page turners that you can read in a weekend. So they had created this experience, designed this experience that was uniquely them, that was distinctly them. And it helped create this point of differentiation that became a reason for someone like me to decide to go into that bookstore versus buy a book online. That's a great example of that idea of being the only. Only they are going to come up with that particular arrangement of books. And you'll seek that out because it's, it's uniquely valuable to you at that point. 
Yeah, exactly. And you're going to build a personal relationship with them and they're going to be able to curate books for you in a way that algorithms never can. One of the connections to that, uh, that idea of distinction and then value has to do with our attention span. Talk to us about the value of attention, this the scarce resource that we have and how that plays into how a business owner might think through how they position themselves in the marketplace. We tend to think of our most scarce resource as time or money, uh, but it's actually neither. It's attention because attention doesn't scale. You can only pay attention to one thing at a time. Multitasking is a myth. You can't do two things at once. Human beings are just not capable of that. You can pay attention to one thing at a time. And the quality of your life on a day-to-day basis is uh, determined by what you pay attention to. And so as a, as a business owner, if you can capture the attention of the people that you're trying to serve, that's going to be extremely valuable. Uh, And again, you capture attention not by trying to shoot at the same obvious target as everyone else. And by the way, it's really hard to hit that target because everyone else is aiming for the same target. Uh, It makes much more sense, as Brian Eno, who's a musician, says, to shoot the arrow and then paint the target around it. So create the niches in which you reside. I um I was recently at a Bruce Springsteen concert. It was my first Bruce concert. And I was amazed. Here's a 73-year-old guy who's like jumping and dancing and sliding across stage, pulling off moves that would put people in their 30s to shame. And as I watched him, as he grabbed my attention, uh, I was thinking to myself, like, what explains his success? How has he been so successful at this? And he's been doing it since 1965. It's not because of his voice, but his voice isn't amazing. There are plenty of other musicians out there who have a better voice than he does. He can play the guitar, but as he writes in his memoir, the world is filled with good guitar players, many of them his match or better. So instead of trying to outplay or outsing other musicians, he instead doubled down on the quality that made him distinct, which was his ability to write song lyrics. So he wrote, he became a sensation for writing lyrics that capture the blue collar spirit that explain the gap between the American dream and the American reality. And that's how he was able to capture the attention of audiences, not by trying to do outplay or outsing, which were not his, you know, distinctive talents, but to lean on the one talent he had, one useful idiosyncrasy that he had that made him different from other people. And that's how he captured the attention of millions of people. What about the difference between principles and tactics? That's That comes up in the book. And this would seem to be an area where, where the trend following also occurs, where we see a tactic that seems to be working. So we go try to copy that tactic. You suggest that's the wrong move. Your better move is to try to understand the principle beneath it. Tell us how that works and why that matters. Absolutely. So I remember the first time that I saw a pop-up on a website. This was a long time ago. But I was like blown away. I'm like, oh my God, here's this thing that came up. Like, so It's like someone knows I'm here and I couldn't type my email address fast enough to receive that 10% off coupon that I didn't even want. Um, and then all of a sudden, within a few months, pop-ups started to, well, pop up on every single website. And then they blend to, they began to blend into the background. It became the popular tactic and then it became copied. And once it was copied and pasted, it ended up, it ended up blurring into the background and you lost the attention of the people that you were trying to serve. And so I find it much more valuable to think about identifying the principle behind a tactic. So if you spot a successful tactic somewhere, instead of copying and pasting it, think about what the tactic is there for. So focus on the the why instead of the what. And then once you identify the principle, then create your own tactic. Create your own way of sharing a 10% off coupon that others aren't doing. And, you know, I, I saw this so frequently when COVID first broke out. If you think back to the emails you got from so many businesses, it's almost like they had the same template. Like they were written the same way. The subject line was like, 
you know, important message about COVID-19. And then it would say like, dear, val- dear valued customer. And the email was even using the same cliches like unprecedented uncertainty that everybody else was using. And then all those emails just, just became the same. But if you can identify the principle behind the tactic and ask, what is this here for? Then you'll be able to see other possibilities for better tactics, tactics that are uniquely you that you otherwise would have missed. What about diversification? So one of the things you talk in the book about is the need to bring in other perspectives into your thinking um, and into your play. I want to come to that in a minute. But um, how do you remain distinct while yet diversifying? And I mean that in terms of not only diversifying the opinions that come in your business, but even diversifying perhaps the products that go out of your business into the world. Sure. Let's talk about, let's talk about opinions first. I think the cliche, great minds think alike, is wrong. I firmly believe great minds don't think alike. And the best ideas come when you have diversity of thoughts. So cognitive diversity, people who don't think like you. Because I've got nothing to learn from someone who thinks exactly as I do. Uh, people who think alike are like two mirrors that reflect each other to infinity. Um, and one of my favorite, favorite stories that stuck with me about the importance of diversity of thought, of bringing in different um, viewpoints into the mix is actually from Harry Potter. When J.K. Rowling wrote the first Harry Potter book, uh, publishers were unanimous in their opinion. They all thought that the book was not worth printing until it landed on the desk of Nigel Newton, who's the head of Bloomsbury Publishing in the UK. And he saw promise in the book where others missed it. What was the secret? Well, he took the first chapter of the book home with him and he gave the book to his eight-year-old bookworm daughter, Alice. And Alice took the book chapter to her room. She devoured it. She came back down and she said, dad, this is so much better than anything else I've read. And that input from an eight-year-old convinced her father to write a meager 2,500 pound check to J.K. Rowling to acquire the rights to publish the first Harry Potter book. And that, by the way, is the best bet made in publishing history. That 2,500 pounds is now a billion dollars, all because Newton did not conform, right? It didn't matter that all of his competitors had passed on the book. They didn't see promise in it. Instead, he stepped outside of his echo chamber and got the opinion of somebody who was a complete outsider to the publishing industry, but an insider of the target audience for for the book, an eight-year-old. So it goes to show it doesn't take that much to seek input from others. It can be your friend, your significant other, your eight-year-old daughter. But beginners and outsiders have a way of asking questions um, and seeing things that the insiders miss because they are too close to, to the problem. And so that's the thought piece, and that's why diversity of thought is so important. And then I think that the same, the same applies to diversity of output as well. You know, we, we hear a lot about how you need to diversify your investments. You don't want to put all your money on Bitcoin or you don't want to put all your, all your money on certainly not on Silicon Valley Bank or one stock, right? Because then that stock might fail. The same idea applies to diversity of, uh, of the products and services that we're creating. I think if we are putting everything into one bucket, there's a chance that something will happen that we're not foreseeing where that bucket might completely go away. And so diversifying your out- output and placing a little bets on different, different things that you might be able to create with what you're doing becomes a rich source of uh, not just potential revenue, but also for potential feedback from customers about what might work and what may not work. How do you do that while remaining distinct? If you think about that, that's almost like a there's a tension there uh, in trying to do that. You're, there's only one you, but somehow there's we're going to multiply that in, in into a diversification. It's the one in the many problem philosophers have been trying to solve since forever. Sure. There's only one you, but you contain multitudes. Mm-hmm. There is there are so many different parts of you, and you're not just made up of one skill. If you think back, and this is a useful exercise, think through as a person, as a business, what your first principles are. Uh, and by that, I mean your basic building, like Lego blocks, uh, of the services that you're providing, and as a person, of the skills that you have, the, the, the useful idiosyncrasies that make you different from other people. Like the things that come easily to you, but 
feel like really hard work to to other people. And then once you've identified those basic Lego blocks, then you can begin to diversify and build different things with what you're doing. And so, for example, in my case, you know, I, I write books, but I also speak about what I write. Uh, so speaking is a logical extension of that. In the past, I've tried other things. So like I tried coaching. That was one little bet I placed. I tried consulting. That was another little bet I placed to diversify myself. Um, and I did not like either of them. Uh, I did a, you know, pretty successful group coaching program for a year, a mastermind for high level C, uh, high level C suite executives. And I enjoyed it for a little bit and then I stopped enjoying it. So I stopped doing it. That's just one example of how you can take what you're doing. For example, the content that you have in a book and, um, diversify it in different ways and try it out and see what works and, and what doesn't work. But you can still remain true to who you are. It's just taking what's there already and applying it to different areas. What about the example of Andy Grove and Gordon Moore? Mm -hmm. I found this example fascinating because this is, this is a great example of two minds who don't think alike coming together, but they didn't come together to solve a problem in a traditional brute force kind of way. They, they played their way to, to a solution. Tell us about that. So they were um, leading Intel at the time. And I'm trying to remember the, the, the exact problem that they were trying to solve. I think at the time, Intel was focused on memory chips. And uh, that had been the traditional business model. And that traditional business model was getting disrupted by rising competi competi competition, particularly from Japan. And so they thought about switching to microprocessors. And, um, and they're struggling with this problem of what to do and they're stuck. And one of them says, let's play a game. Instead of going around the circles and, uh, being stuck in this rut, let's leave, literally walk out the door and walk back in as our replacements. So if we were replaced as CEO and president of the company and, um, two other people were brought in, what would they do? So it was this like role-playing game exercise and they walked back in and the decision was clear. They were going to leave their traditional business model and walk into this, this new path and that ended up being absolutely the, the right call for, for Intel. And I included that story in the book um, on a chapter on the importance of play. You know, most of us get stuck in our ways, get stuck with the status quo because we're too focused on process too focused on repeating what we've done in the past. But play is essential to creativity. Play is essential to reimagining the status quo. Play is essential to finding your distinction, your basic Lego blocks. And so that exercise is one of many examples that I cite in the book of how you can infuse play into what you do so that you're able to create better ideas. I want to close out with a, an observation about what Grove and Moore did in that moment of play was they were able to see something that they couldn't see themselves before. So they had to sort of step out of their role to step out of the fight that they were currently fighting to come up with a different approach. But that is something the business owners have to do in some form or fashion all the time, which is to see something that others that somebody else doesn't see and then productize that and then take that to the marketplace, which ultimately takes us back full circle to the beginning of the conversation, which is distinction. There's something unique in the way you see the world that if you can turn that to the problems that are in the marketplace, you can uniquely solve. Tell us, like, how should a business owner, if you were giving them a parting note, how should they solve that problem? What, how do they approach that uh, conundrum? The first important thing is to realize no one can compete with you at being you. You're the first and the last time that you'll ever happen. And if your thinking is an extension of you, if what you're building is a product of your inner wisdom, inner abilities, inner talents, you will be in a league of your own. Um, and I think most people miss that point. Um, and which is why so much copying and pasting and, and following the herd happens. And so that's, that's the starting point. And once you realize that, 
Then being intentional about what you're building. So going back to the discussion we had around tactics and principles, instead of copying a tactic that your competitors are using, identifying the principle behind it and thinking through how you can bring your own basic Lego blocks to implement that principle. So in the case of the bookstore example we mentioned, for example, it's saying we're going to abandon this outdated tactic of organizing our shelves in alphabetical order by the author's last name and instead creating delightful categories like time travel or page turners that you can you can read in a weekend. Um, and, and so that, I think, is the way to lean into distinction and to set yourself apart from from the competition. Uh, and then one final point that I'll mention here, which is really important, the Intel example also illustrates the importance of carving out time to think. You're not gonna be able to tap into your inner wisdom if you're moving from one email to the next, one notification to the next, one meeting to the next. You only can do that if you actually carve out time to think. Um, I call this in the book, in Awaken Your Genius, I call it putting yourself on airplane mode. So carving out time to think throughout the day, just daydream, let your mind drift, go for a walk. Uh, research shows that walking boosts creativity. No audiobook, as great as this podcast is, no podcast, just you and your thoughts. Take 20 minutes. There's so many examples of scientists, business leaders, literally walking themselves into the right answer. Like they'll be stuck on some problem and they'll walk and this amazing idea will pop up as if out of nowhere. Uh, this, by the way, is why most people get the best ideas in the shower. Like, you know, and it's not surprising if you think about it because it's one of the few moments of our day when we're just alone with our thoughts. There's no distractions, no notifications, nothing. Imagine the types of incredible insights, incredible ways to distinguish yourself and serve your customers you might be able to generate if you replicate those shower-like conditions just briefly throughout the day. So take a few minutes, daydream, put yourself on airplane mode. Ozan Verol, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me on, Joel. That's it for another episode of the Business Accelerator Podcast. If you're convinced that mindset really is the secret ingredient to your moonshot, then I recommend two books right now. The first is Michael and Megan's book, Mind Your Mindset, The Science That Shows Success Starts With Your Thinking. This is, if you've been listening to this show for very long, an anchor message of the Business Accelerator podcast. And this is an incredible book for generating breakthrough thinking. And along with that, so is Awaken Your Genius by Ozan Verol. And so I want to recommend you check out his new book. You can find it at geniusbook.net. Now, if you're a small business owner and you want to skyrocket your results, I recommend you go to businessaccelerator.com slash coach. That's businessaccelerator.com slash coach. We help successful but overwhelmed small business owners just like you scale yourself and your business so you can win at work and succeed at life. It's what we call the double win. And if you'd like to experience that for yourself, go to businessaccelerator.com slash coach. That's it. We'll be back next week with more conversations to help you accelerate your business. All right, Ken, do you know what's happening right now? No, I have no idea. <laughs> Well, first of all, it's your favorite time of year, finally. It's, yes! We can act, okay, like I give approval for us to actually listen to Christmas music now that Thanksgiving's over. Jingle bells, jingle bells. Yes. Uh, it's our holiday sale here at Full Focus. Oh, And we have better. some really awesome deals going on, especially if for some reason you missed out on our Black Friday deals. This is a great time to get your planners and everything for the new year. And so we have got uh, some awesome deals. So we've got 10% off site-wide. Um, we've got where you can get a free um, your best year ever vinyl sticker pack for any new planner subscri subscription that you sign up for. So these are great to put on things like your Stanley mug. <laughs> 
Wow, you already put them on yeah. your Stanley mug. And if are you got them, them if you got them on Black Friday, these are different. These are these are going to be new for the new year. Uh, but they're great for that. You can also put them on your planner. You can put them on your computer, wherever you want them. But they're great. Good. They're great stickers. We're also doing 25% off courses. Let's go. So specifically, we've been talking a lot about our goal setting course. Um, and this is going to be $75 off and you get a free ticket to your best year ever live with your purchase. So you definitely don't. It's huge. like a crazy, crazy, crazy deal. So you don't want to miss out on that. And your favorite thing, which is our certification program we're doing $800 off of it. And this is a fantastic time of year to get in. Um, we are actually going to be doing a beta group for our new digital planner. Yes. It's going to be fantastic. Crazy exciting. So anyways, go to fullfocusstore.com now shop our holiday sale. Make sure to use the code holiday 10 to get all these deals and more.